I'm going to read Hebrews 13, verses 17 to 19. This is God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word, so let us pay close attention to it. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Let's pray together. Father, this is your word which you have given to us for our good and for your glory. We pray that you would help us to submit ourselves to it. Would you teach us of your grace, of your love, of your tender care for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Consider the life of a shepherd, often entrusted with a flock of sheep that belong to another owner, a different master. The shepherd was to care for the sheep in each and every way. Shepherd needed to know each individual sheep as well as the flock as a whole, so as he kept watch over the flock, he might identify if some have wandered away or been stolen, or attacked. He would need to understand their diet in order to be able to lead them to green pastures to receive proper nourishment or to fresh waters that they might not die of thirst. He would be able to identify sickness or injury so that if necessary, he would be able to bind up the injured animal or apply a healing balm uh, to 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 the sheep, and the shepherd would do these things often at great risk to himself. Uh, the shepherds who would keep watch uh, in the night over the watches of the night, literally losing sleep under the starry night sky as they kept watch over the flocks to make sure that not a single sheep was attacked by wild animals or stolen by thieves. And if a thief or a robber was to steal a sheep, the shepherd himself would need to intervene. Or if an animal, a wild animal, were to attack one of the sheep, the shepherd himself would have to take action. David, the shepherd king, said that when he was tending his father's sheep, he said, if a bear or a lion came and attacked one of the sheep, I would pursue after it and strike it and rescue the sheep out of its mouth. And if he rose up against me, I would grab him by the beard, strike him, and kill him. But the risks weren't always from outside the flock. Sometimes it was from the very sheep that the shepherd was charged to protect. The sheep would wander, as in the parable of the lost sheep. Where the one wandered away from the 99, and the shepherd himself would be the one that would need to search and find the lost sheep, often putting himself in danger. Sometimes the sheep would get caught in thorns or in ravines, and the shepherd would need to use his shepherd's staff and use all of his strength to rescue the sheep who got himself into trouble, out of that trouble. Sometimes the sheep would fight with one another, And the shepherd himself would need to get in the middle of the warring sheep and use his shepherd's rod to discipline the sheep 
sheep in order to bring peace within the flock. And sometimes when the shepherd was tending to an injured or a sick animal, the animal didn't like it, so the animal would bite or kick the very shepherd who was seeking to care for that sheep. And beloved, God's word is clear that we, you and I, are sheep. One of our most beloved psalms is Psalm 23, where we declare, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me beside to, to green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He restores my soul. It is one of our great benefits and blessings that we can declare with the words of Psalm 100, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And we know that Jesus told us that he is the good shepherd who came because of the love of God to seek and to save the lost. He is the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. He is the one who shed his blood to purchase the flock of God for himself. And Jesus did all these things, and yet we're still sheep. And we still need to be led and fed and protected. We still are susceptible to injury and sickness and attack. And so God still shepherds us. Then much of what we've been hearing in the book of Hebrews is about the Lord Jesus Christ shepherding his people as we persevere to glory, as we await our final home. And so Jesus has promised to do this because of God's covenant with his people. He has purchased this people for himself, and he will see them to glory, but they must be shepherded. And so God, in his grace, as, he, as with many of other of Christ's works, he does this work of shepherding primarily through the work of the church. Jesus Christ has given his watchful, loving, and shepherding spirit to the church, and Christ himself appoints leaders to shepherd the flock of God so that we might together preserve unto glory. And that's primarily what this passage is reminding us of, is that Christ shepherds his flock through the appointed elders and deacons that he has provided. And as such, God's leaders, God's spiritual leaders must Keep watch over the flock of God because it is Christ's flock. And God's people must obey their leaders because they are Christ's appointed under-shepherds. And we'll look at our passage in two directions. The first is we'll look at a charge to the leaders. And the second is a charge to those who are led. So let's begin with this charge to the leaders. Very first thing and the primary thing that our passage says is that leaders, you are to keep watch over the flock of God. It's verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls. Shepherds would keep watch over the flock to make sure none were lost or stolen or injured. Cities 
fortified cities would have a watchman who would stand in the tower and would keep watch to see if there were any oncoming attacks to the city. And Christ, in his wisdom, appoints leaders over his church to keep watch over the flock of God. And primarily over our souls, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Brothers and sisters, your soul needs overwatch. It needs to be watched over. It needs an overseer, one who looks over it. This is something that we cannot do on our own. Scripture is clear that the heart is deceptive above all things. Who can understand it? Every way of man's heart is right in his own eyes, but the Lord tests the heart. And God, in his grace, has provided leaders for that very task. Jesus has bought the souls of God's people for eternity. He has promised to see them to glory, but there is a process of watching over those people in order to bring them to glory. It is the means by which God preserves us to glory. Um, In my backyard, there is a tree, a desert willow. So kids, if you ever see it, it's, you know, desert willow has these these branches, that are long branches that kind of droop down like this. And I went out one uh, one day and I noticed that one of the larger branches was drooping down more than it should. And from its own weight, it had started to pull away from the branch. It was like tearing away from, from the, the trunk. And it was still connected to the trunk, but just by a sliver. And I knew that if I didn't do something with that branch, that it was ultimately going to die. It was going to uh, grow dry. It wasn't going to be nourished. And I would have to cut it off and burn it. And so I uh, looked for some strapping cord, and I lifted up the branch, and I kind of tied it at a kind of a makeshift graft, and I hoped that over time that the, the tree would begin to heal itself and the branch would be able to remain connected to the trunk, and it did. And such is the work of elders, these leaders, these shepherds, beloved. Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And we are, we are those branches. And with the heat of life, the, the, the wind of life, the, the, the disease, insects, infection of life, we can start to pull away. We can wander. And we need someone to, I'd see that and take action and to Bind, help bind us back to the vine because apart from Christ we will wither, we will die and as Jesus said it's only fit at that point to be burned in the fire. This is a necessary task. Um, the Apostle Paul said the same thing to the Ephesian elders in chapter 20. He was leaving the Ephesian elders and it was one of the most tender moments in his ministry as they were crying because they wouldn't see each other once again. And he said this as his farewell words to these elders. He said, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. 
I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Be alert. And he's entrusted this task primarily to elders with the help of the deacons. And so leaders, elders, deacons, you must be alert and watchful. This is the flock of God that was purchased with the blood of Christ. You must be aware of the dangers that they are susceptible to. The wandering from Christ, the false teaching, the cultural worldliness that can seep in to the church. You must be aware of the diseases which so easily infect and spread within the flock, such as idleness and bitterness and thanklessness and covetousness and even a downcast and despairing soul. You must keep watch. Of course, this requires the Lord's strength. As the Apostle Paul said, who, who is sufficient for such things? Who has what it takes in order to lead God's people and to shepherd them. But we can be confident, beloved, that since Christ himself is appointing these elders and these deacons and that Christ is calling them to account, he will equip them with the necessary tools in order to shepherd. It's a task that requires spiritual alertness to be able to remain awake in the watches of the night. It requires spiritual discernment and wisdom in order to be able to discern not just is there a problem, but how to deal with that problem with gentleness and grace and courage. And this is all under the authority of God's word. It is strength that comes through devotion to God's word, but not merely an understanding of God's word, but the wisdom to know the flock and how to apply God's word wisely to each one of us. So it requires wisdom. The second thing we need to understand, leaders, is that you are to lead as stewards, not owners. This is the Lord's flock which means that you must lead as the Lord would have you do it with the task that he sets before you and the manner that he calls you to it. Our text says uh, that we are to keep watch as those who will have to give an account. We are accountable. We will have to give an account for this flock. Now this, brothers and sisters, if you've never heard this passage before, you need to understand that this is one of the most terrifying of passages for an officer of God's church. For who feels comfortable being accountable for the soul of another? Some of us are okay with the idea of accountability if we have control over what we can do or, or, or control over the thing we're accountable for. But who has control over the soul of another person? Not one of us. But what we need to be careful of 
is that the accountability here is not on the result, but on faithfulness to the task. There are many things in God's word that God calls us to where we have a desired or expected result, and yet God keeps the results to himself. He calls us to faithfulness in those things, and he works out his holy will through those things. And that is what these elders and deacons, these leaders are called to give an account for. Are they faithful to their charge to shepherd the flock, doing the things that God calls them to in the manner that God calls them to? So we are called to feed the flock with the rich affair of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Proclaimed in the whole, gospel, the whole counsel of God. We are called to lead God's people to the green pastures of Christ. To set an example in speech and conduct and love and purity. We are called to protect the flock from all dangers inside and outside of the church. And this can't happen well unless we know the flock, each individual sheep and the flock as a whole. And of course, as our good shepherd loves his flock, each, each individual member of it, it requires us to have that love and that devotion to lay down our lives for the sheep. And so he calls us to this. We are to give account to this. And the final thing is we need to do these things with a clear conscience. Verse 18 says, Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. Brothers and sisters, the only way that your leaders can have a clear conscience in leading and caring for you is by submitting themselves to the word of God and following what he prescribes in word and deed and manner. And when we do that, brothers, we will have a clear conscience, and because it is from God himself, it will be good and honorable and beneficial to the flock. So that is what we must do. Brothers and sisters of Zion, I want you to be encouraged because your elders and your deacons love you. They have been seeking to know you well, to know how to care for you. They have labored much to care for you, to figure out how to best shepherd you and to protect you to watch over you and to feed you. They have lost sleep over you. And at times they've gotten bitten. And yet they love you. And they will continue to love you because they are constrained. We are constrained by the love of Christ to care for his flock. But brothers and sisters, since Christ is the one who appoints these leaders over us, since we need to be shepherded, the charge to us who are led ought to be obvious. We must obey them and submit to them. Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. 
uh, this term leaders, we've seen this before in chapter 13. It could also be translated guides. This was what we saw um, those who spoke the word of God to you, who guided you to Christ. And earlier, it was those who, who did this in the past. Now it's talking about those who are among you even now, who are speaking the word of Christ to you. And this sense of obedience, obeying, has to do with the receiving of the word that they're speaking. The authority, I'll say it again, the authority of the elders of the church derives solely from the word of God. We are constrained to lead and teach and proclaim the very word of God. And so as they lead and proclaim with the word of God, we are to receive it as the word of God. He's, he's, he's calling us to receive the spoken word, to submit ourselves to it. Or another way of putting it is sometimes people will tell us things and we don't agree and this obedience, one way of putting it, is allowing yourself to be convinced. Kind of the opposite of being stubborn. Allowing yourself to be convinced by the leaders that the Lord has given you. So the, the obedience is one part of it. But then the second part is this submit to them. This is an active sense of placing yourself under the authority of those authorities that the Lord has put under you or over you. The ones that are called to lead you willingly receiving their leadership, which requires the work of the Spirit, requires humility from, uh, from us. And this, this aspect of humility and submission is so important to God's church. It's one of, the, one of the reasons why one of our membership vows that almost every one of you here has taken is, do you promise to submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and peace. It is something that God in his word calls us to, commands us to do, and is something that we as members of the church agree to. We assent to obey God's word in these things. But ironically, that's the one vow that gets broken the most. So we are to obey our leaders and submit to them, but the manner of obedience matters. It says, verse, uh, second part of verse 17, let them do this, that's let them keep watch over your souls with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Brothers and sisters, the call to serve as an elder in God's church is a dangerous and difficult calling. It is, a, it is a calling to die to yourself and to live for love for Christ and for the sake of your brothers and sisters. Um, it, is, it is a calling that God must place on a man's life and it requires a unique set of gifts and a unique degree of strength in order to fulfill that task because it is painful and heartbreaking, but also at times joyful. And it's a gift that we need, and God has been gracious to give it to us. And understand that in the gift of elders and deacons, what God has done for you, God has chosen men 
and has transformed their lives and pulled them out of their own self-serving priorities and given them a love and a care and a concern for each of you individually. He's reprioritized their schedules and their heart to be focused on how to point you to Jesus, how to help you grow in godliness. And out of, out of a recognition of the, the fact that this is a gift from the Lord, out of a recognition of the difficulty of this task, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. How can you do that? How, can, how, how do we do that? Well, I think it's right there in the text. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Put yourself in their position and consider what would make you groan if you had charge over the flock of God. It's the person who repeatedly complains about something and is never satisfied despite the amount of time that you talk with them about it. It's the person who refuses to participate and use their gifts for the benefit of their brothers and sisters, despite how often you hold them accountable and how much you plead with them about the blessing that it will be for them. It's the person who is consistently inconsistent in fulfilling their vow to support the church in its worship and work. And so you're constantly having to figure out why aren't they here? Is this a good reason? Are they wandering off? And then you have to figure out how to, to deal with that, to winsomely bring them back into the body. It's the person who's overly sensitive about everything that their brothers and sisters have to say. It's the person who grumbles about their needs not being met and starts looking to other flocks because their needs aren't being met rather than turning to their brothers and sisters to say, how can I care for your needs? Or it's the person who refuses to yield to the shepherding care of their elders, resulting in a long and painful and heartbreaking discipline process. Brothers and sisters, there's this... This is of no advantage to you. This is no advantage to you. Because with every no that you say, every time you say, no, I'm not going to do that. No, I don't have time for that. No, that's not me. Every time you wander, that takes away from your brothers and sisters. That takes away from our ability to grow in our preaching and our discipleship. That takes away from your elders' times with their spouses and their families. It takes away from our fellowship, our ability to serve in the community. That's of no advantage to you. But, beloved, there is a way, and there has been great joy in the life of Zion. It is possible for us to make it great joy for our leaders. The, the Apostle John said, I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. And brothers and sisters, that is the aim of our charge, is to see you walking in the truth, to see God's people gathering to worship 
with reverence and awe and joy and energy to see God's people showing up for an outreach activity when none of us feel comfortable doing it. For to see us showing up, just showing up, participating, smiling, using your gifts to, to bless one another. For each one of you that says, yes, I will, I will do that. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm not the right person for it. I don't have the time for it, but I'll figure it out. I will use, I'll make time because I love my brothers and sisters and I want to serve them. It's every time that one of, one of you says, yes, I've had victory over this nagging sin that you've been praying for. It's every time we grow in true humility and love for one another. Brothers and sisters, that is true joy. So serve. Serve your God in a way that brings joy and not groaning. So let me ask you to consider, do you bring your leaders more joy or groaning? Your leaders love you because Christ has given them a love for you. What practical ways do you need to change your way of thinking or your heart or your way of living in order to benefit the kingdom and bring joy to the body, I encourage you to do this. And the last and final thing, he says, pray for us. Pray for us for we're sure that we have a clear conscience. Beloved, no leader of God's church is there on their own accord, but only by the calling of the Lord. And no leader of God's church can do what they are doing apart from the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ working in them by his spirit. And God gives that strength by his, through prayer. And out of, for your sake and for the sake of the body, pray for your leaders. Pray that they would, they, they seek to serve with a clear conscience and to act honorably in all things. And this task needs God's strength. It requires self-sacrifice. So pray that they can make that sacrifice with joy and not with groaning. It, it requires devotion. Pray that, that they have time in prayer and in devotion to God's word because it's through their devotion that they will have the riches of Christ to share with you. Pray that they would have wisdom and a Christ-like devotion. Pray that they would have love that would never grow embittered by any member of the Lord's flock, but constantly grow in that love. And pray for their spouses, that their spouses would have the strength to lovingly support them as they see their husbands laboring for all of you. We desire to serve with a clear conscience and act honorably. So please pray. And brothers and sisters, it's just we need to be clear that this is a gift for those people who are in Christ Jesus, who can call Christ as their shepherd. This is how Christ shepherds his flock. And if your hope is in Christ, and you're trusting in him, you are seeking to remain in him, then this is a gift for you. You have to rejoice in it and delight in it. 
But if that doesn't describe you, then that means one of two things, friends. One thing that it could mean is that you are a lost sheep. You just don't yet know the voice of your shepherd. Jesus Christ said that he has sheep that are not yet of the fold, that, but his sheep will know his voice. And so on behalf of the chief shepherd, I would say to you, hear your, your, your shepherd's voice. Hear him calling to you. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me and I will protect you. I will love you. I will see you all the way to glory. The only other option, beloved, is that you are not a sheep at all, but you are a wolf. And to you, I would, I would urge you to understand the peril that you are in. For just as David said he would grab a lion or a bear and he would strike it and slay it, the Lord Jesus Christ, our good shepherd, has said that he will protect his sheep and none will deliver them out of his hand. He will defeat all of his enemies. There is only the option of submitting yourself to him, but God is gracious to his enemies. Today is the day of salvation. Give up your opposition Hear the voice of the good and gentle shepherd. Submit yourself to him and delight in his love. Beloved, we need, we need shepherds and God gives us shepherds. Here at Zion, we, your shepherds love you and they are seeking to care for you, but we don't. We are weak and sinful men and we are fallible and we don't love you the way that we ought and um, or the way that we hope to. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, I'm going to close with, with this. Charles Spurgeon t- spoke about how um, certain people would comment about how Moses said about the Israelites. He said, Lord, please forgive them. But if not, blot me out of your book. Blot me out of your book for the sake of the people. And the Apostle Paul said something similar. He said, oh, that I would be cut off, that my people, the Israelites, would be, would be saved. And there are people who look at that and say, well, how could you give up your, how, how could you put your, even your salvation on hold for the sake of the people? And, and Spurgeon said this. He said, oh, but there is no difficulty in the matter if you once get to feel such an intense love for the souls of men that you would, as it were, pawn your own salvation and count it little if you might but bring people to the Savior's feet. A man who has never felt that willingness does not yet know the true throb of a pastor's heart. He's not been ordained to be a shepherd if he would not lay down his life for the flock if it were necessary. Brothers and sisters, we desire to love you like that, but know this, you have a shepherd who does love you like that, who laid down his life for you and purchased you with his own blood. And we are the, his people, the sheep of his pasture. So praise be to God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you have brought us together as one flock under one shepherd, thank you that you give 
us the right to call you our Father and our God. Oh, Lord, would you help us to, to live in a way that brings joy to our great shepherd? Would you help us to love each other with a self-sacrificial love that can come only from you? We do desire to glorify you. We do desire to see each other ushered into glory. So give us that strength. Give us that love for one another, that intense love. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.